Please turn with me now to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, in a moment we'll be reading from verses 1 to 7. Romans chapter 1, under the theme of the gospel of God, the gospel of God. This morning, after we read God's precious and holy word, we're going to be looking at the most special message the most important message any of us will ever hear and it's special and important because of where it comes from but also because of the content of that message now today we may not get very excited about messages we may think of junk mail going through our letterboxes we may think of we we hope it's not a bill We don't get quite as excited as we once did years ago when a letter comes or something like that. I remember growing up and when my aunt used to write to my mother, there was quite a degree of excitement about letters that were coming from America. My aunt lives in New York. And and I think probably many of you here might remember a time when letters were read out loud. You know, they were being sent from Australia, New Zealand, here is wonderful news of how our cousins or whoever is getting on in a foreign land. That news was good news. Exciting news. News that was a great comfort. That whoever had gone away was getting on okay. Good news to hear from our beloved family. And perhaps today we can take such communication for granted. Today what we have, we have Zoom Free, you know, we've got like uh, WhatsApp emails are instantaneous. You send them, they're they're there within a few seconds. There's no delay. There's no waiting. Constant updates from news websites, and perhaps we lose the joy and the sense of anticipation of good news, exciting news. Uh, we we forget, perhaps even in the midst of the days like this. What good news can even sound like. It can be background noise. But for most of human history it wasn't like this. If a message was coming. It was usually worth sending. Because it was quite hard to send. And it was there usually for encouragement. During times of war. Times of disease, illness, other things. Letters and messages were there for encouragement. To strengthen morale. To build up the people who would receive them. Especially when they contain good news. Well this morning dear friends we're going to read of the most important news. Any of us will ever hear as image bearers of God. And that is the good news of God. The gospel of God. So Romans chapter 1 verses 1 to 7. Let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Paul a bondservant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle. Separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. 
to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. The most exciting message that I have ever heard in recent years when I first began to know my wife. When myself and my wife were getting to know each other, we wrote to each other for six months. She was living in America at the time, studying. I was living in Italy at the time. And I was actually living with her father as well. So we got to know each other through sending letters to each other. And I remember still that, that excitement of every letter that would come through the letterbox. And I was like, oh, it's, it's another letter from my now wife. Letters can be joyful. They can be wonderful. And they can, create, they can give us great comfort knowing how someone is getting on. And as wonderful and as exciting as letters can be from our dear loved ones, there's something far greater here in our text. The greatest message that any of us can hear and that we've ever heard as believers in Jesus Christ A message that when we read should bring joy to our hearts. One to which the Apostle Paul here was set apart to. Dedicated to. This was his identity. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. This was Paul's identity. Here is who I am. I'm writing to you, to the the Christians in Rome. And I am not my... I do not define myself by my feelings as we do today. No, I define myself by the one I serve. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. And this was the authority that he could come before them. He was set apart to the gospel. Set apart to this good news. It was a message of good news. For that's what the word means. Our word gospel. The good news. Good tidings from God. That all who come through Christ can be forgiven. Are forgiven. The guilt removed. The stain of sin washed clean. And and they're given a heart of flesh. No longer a heart of stone. Now we are bombarded today with information, aren't we? So much so that we can often be very selective what we will listen to. But if you, if you remember anything from this day, remember this message. That this message is the one we must listen to above all else. Whatever we may filter out or ignore from our day, we must never do so with the gospel. We must all listen to this message and heed this message, what it commands us to do. And if we have trusted in Jesus Christ, it is not something we leave behind and think, well... That was for the beginning of my Christian walk. Now I'm going on to better things. Dear friends, we will never exhaust our study of the gospel of God. Ever. We will and we should forever be in awe of what God has done from your creatures. Mere uh, but, but dust as we are. What he has done in our place. What he has given in our place. It's not just simply, dear friends, for the Sabbath school age child here. It's for us all. No matter how long we've been walking 
with the Lord. That we would grow in our gratitude and be in awe of God in the process. Our first point that we're going to look at here this morning from these seven verses that we just read is the priority of the gospel. The priority of the gospel. Now, what's amazing here as we read this text, remember who Paul was. Paul was an enemy of the gospel. Paul was someone who attacked the gospel and thought it was the most ridiculous thing that anyone would follow this man, Jesus Christ. It says here, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the to the gospel of God. No longer someone who attacked the gospel and attacked those who followed the gospel. He is now dedicated to that message he once attacked. An incredible transformation. One who now serves Christ. He's an apostle, it says. And we can get so used to that title. But the word apostle means a sent one. And he doesn't send himself. He doesn't send himself. He goes in the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has sent him. This is the authority he comes to when he's giving this introductory part of this letter that he writes to the Romans. I am a sent one. I am not coming in my own name. I have no authority in my own name to speak anything but that which has been sent by me, by God himself, He's sent by Christ. He is sent by by the anointed one. And this word here, separated to the gospel of God. Separated to the gospel of God. It's just got this idea of to sever. To sever. Or even in the original language, it's got the idea of to mark out strictly certain boundaries. Or even at times to cut off. To cut off. Now today, this language may seem severe. We don't want to seem too over the top, do we? We don't want to seem too obsessed or too dedicated toward anything. Now, there are times today when the world does appreciate this kind of language of dedication. When people think, well, this is a fantastic thing to be dedicated to something. Usually sports. Or usually something where you get all the fame. You get all the glory. You break the records. Look how dedicated you are. But to be set apart to the gospel makes people feel uncomfortable. And tragically, even today, many professing Christians, this language would make them feel incredibly uncomfortable. Many attend church. But Paul is in no way casual about his relationship to the gospel separated, cut off even to the gospel. This is what he serves, this message. He's been completely given over to it. Now, if the gospel is not that important, this is a tragedy, isn't it? What a waste. He could be doing something greater. But if it is the most important message you will ever hear, without which there is no hope, then it is a wonderful thing. There's no middle ground, isn't there, with this? Because of the priority and the importance of the gospel, we rejoice. We rejoice of what God has done through this apostle, Paul. 
Do you see this morning, dear friends, how important the gospel message is? Because that will determine how you will look at Paul's dedication to the gospel. You will think, oh, that was silly. Well, he could have gotten off the tent-making business. That was probably going okay. Where is our focus today in the church? How much do we value that position, those positions in the church where people are set apart to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, not all of us are called to full-time work in this manner. But it should still be highly valued. It is something with which, without which, there is no hope. This message is so important. And I speak to the young people here as well. Do not think that there's, you're so young that, well, you know, in a few years I'll do such and such. You may not have certain responsibilities yet as young people. But at the same time, you are never too young to live a holy and godly life for the Lord. This is not to say you can't have fun. You should have fun. I hope you have a joyful home, that you have games and other things, that you rejoice among your family. But at the same time, this is the most important thing. This is the most important thing you'll ever hear. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God. And do you agree with this? You won't agree with this if it's not the most important thing. Forget what gift we have in him. We forget these things if we don't see how important this message is and how important he is. Dear friends, the world, the flesh, and the devil want us to not see this message as important as it is. The world, the flesh, and the devil will try to pull you away from any, from seeing the most important message that there is, that we will ever hear in this life. And that would be a heartbreaking tragedy to not see how important this is. You may be saved here this morning, but it is also possible to neglect the gift that has been given you. And dear friends, Cherish this. Cherish this. That you may grow in the joy of the Lord. Because this is a message without which we have no hope. So the priority of the gospel. Number two now. The promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel. Now in our world today. It's very common for people to promise much. But to deliver little. But the promises that we will hear on our doorstep, the door-to-door salesman, all these kind of things, are nothing compared to this message. In verse 2 it says this, speaking of the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets to, or in the holy scriptures, which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures. Scriptures So wonderful, the promises of the gospel. These go back centuries. You ever see you know, a very important event happening? And there'll be people talking about it and focusing on it for a long time. This is going across thousands of years. Thousands of years. Years of anticipation going right back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 it says this. And this is right after the fall of Adam. 
Genesis 3 verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. There is a promise of a victory in the seed of the woman. Over the seed of the serpent. This promise came in the law and the prophets. Otherwise known to us today as the Old Testament. The seed of the woman, that is Christ, who represents the seed of the woman, will crush this head of the serpent. And this victory has been seen at the cross. Now, and there was also a promise that there will be a war taking place. There's enmity. War is never pleasant. But there is promised peace through this gospel message, going right back to Genesis 3.15, that will come through this seed of the woman alone. This is where victory comes. This is where the only part of victory comes. And to be on the victorious side, dear friends, is to be in this seed. Trusting in the victor who crushed the seed of the serpent. There's also the promise of the lamb. There's a lamb promised. And one of the examples we're going to look at is Genesis 22. Genesis 22. This is with Isaac being offered or being asked to be offered by Abraham. And he wasn't after. But in Genesis 22 it says this. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. All the way throughout the Old Testament. There is promise upon promise. That this lamb of God. As John the Baptist said, who taketh away the sin of the world, he would come. He would come and take away our sin. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Our guilt. Take away that sword that hangs over our head. Being the wrath of God because of our iniquity and our law breaking. The son of God is pictured here as a lamb. The eternal son of God. True God from true God. And he comes to be victorious over his enemies. Over sin. Over death. And over hell. It talks about this in in Psalm 2. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And again, over and over. And honestly, you could be here for hours reading all the examples of the promises of God. Of victories over his enemies. This build up over thousands of years. Hundreds of prophecies relating to Jesus Christ. Describing who he would be. Showing who he was. Thousands of years. Hundreds of years as well. Before he came on this earth. And it came as promised. Exactly as promised. There's not one single one of his prophecies about his first coming. That has failed. Dear friends, will any of his second coming fail? Of course not. Exactly as promised. It says in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, 
as some count slackness, but as long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We may think the longer this goes on, it's been 2,000 years, hasn't it? Since the Lord Jesus Christ walked upon this earth, who lived for us, who died for us, and rose again from the grave for us. And also is at the right hand of the majesty on high today, ever living to intercede for us. But sometimes the more things go on, we begin to doubt these things, don't we? Promised before, long before Christ came, his first coming did not fail in not one jot and in not one tittle. His second coming will be exactly as promised. He will overcome darkness. He is that light. He is the promised light that would come. It says in Isaiah 42 verse 6. I the Lord have called you in righteousness. And will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. As a light to the Gentiles. Or that word Gentiles. The nations. Those who are outside of the boundaries of Israel. Who are unbelievers. A light to the world. A light to the world without this message, dear friends, darkness. Because this message offers not just a way to salvation, it offers you a person. It offers you Jesus Christ. It offers you the victorious side in this battle that goes right back to Genesis 3.15. There's promised defeat in unbelief. But there's also promised Victory for all those who will shun darkness and embrace the light found in Jesus Christ. Looking to him by faith and by faith alone. Our third point that we're going to look at is the provision of the gospel. The provision of the gospel. So we've looked at the priority of the gospel. It's important. The promise of the gospel. And now number three, the provision of the gospel. The provision of the gospel. What has God provided in this message? For us mere creatures, helpless sinners, dead in trespasses and sins. How can we have right relationship with God? And that should make us all pause. Shouldn't it? It's so easy just to tell people, just trust in Jesus. And it can become this, he's done it all. Without us thinking what he has done. He has done it all. If it were just a mere, you know, God trying and attempting. And it was all up to us. No one, dear friends, would be saved. We are helpless. Slaves of sin outside of Jesus Christ. How can we have right relationship? How can God accept us? How can we've been brought into saving relationship, the thrice holy God, with sinners? Sinners. Now, one way is that we live a perfect life. Now, I hope you're saying in your head, that's not possible. If you live every moment of your life. Of course we have the the sin of Adam to contend with as well. 
But have you lived a perfect life? Has there been sin in thought and word and deed? That perfect standard of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I remember years ago hearing a preacher put it like this, that if if we just took your thoughts, your thought life, and put it on a big screen and played it before your best friend, your best friend would probably run out of the room in horror. The things we think, the things that enter into our hearts are ghastly. All of our hearts. So how can we have right relationship with God? Well someone has to obey that law in our place. Don't they? Someone else has to live that perfect life in our place. And also we've also got the punishment that is due for our sin. Because none of us have loved God every moment and every second of every day. As we ought to have loved him. None of us have. But there is one, the Lord Jesus Christ, loved his father perfectly every moment, every moment upon this earth. And he loved his neighbor as himself perfectly. That's how the law of God is summarized in the New Testament in Matthew 22. He kept the Ten Commandments perfectly, without spot, without blemish. Only one, this sinless, spotless Lamb of God. The provision of the gospel. What more could he give? He gave us his son. He gave us his only begotten son. What more love could he show mere sinners like you and I? Times of war and and times of famine and suffering... The, the thoughts of people losing their children is horrendous. And as often people would prefer that their own lives were taken in place of their own children. He gave us his only begotten son. This message is about Christ. In verse 3 it says this. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord. Who was born of the seed of David. According to the flesh. Was born of the seed of David. This eternal son of God. The infinite God. The one who is without beginning without end. The alpha and the omega. He takes on finite flesh. We're creatures. We are creatures. We are but dust. And the infinite God. Who is eternally begotten of the father. Was born as a man. What does it say in Hebrews? He was made a little lower than the angels. Quoting from Psalm 8. Now pause for a sec. What has he given us? What has he done for us? The all-powerful God was born of the seed of David. Now the seed of David is a royal line. The kings come out of that seed. But he still takes on finite flesh. God has provided all that we need to be saved. All that we need to be saved. All that is ever needed. 
through the gospel of God. Now you might be listening to this thinking, well, if he's provided all that I need, well, I don't need to do anything or anything like that. Dear friends, we must respond by faith. We must respond in repentance and faith and to to look away from our sin and to look to Jesus Christ. But perhaps you are here and you are believing and you think, well, I have responded in faith. I have repented. Does that mean I am in some way better than my lost friends or neighbors? In no way. In no way. If you have responded in repentance and faith, it is a work of God. God has given you eyes to see, ears to hear. He has given you a new heart. He has given you new affections so that when you see your sin, you flee in abhorrence and you see the beauty of Christ. You don't have to convince anyone of the beauty of a sunrise once their eyesight has been restored. They see its glories. They see its wonders. Christ is wonderful. He is truly wonderful to behold. We don't need any convincing. We just need eyes to see that. And our sin blinds us. It's only in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. See, dear friends, God has provided it all. Everything. He has provided it all. So we've looked at the provision of the gospel. Now we're going to look at the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. The enemies of God wanted Jesus to remain in the grave, didn't they? They wanted it to... to To just look like some fanatical following of someone who would remain in the grave. But what did the resurrection of Jesus tell the world? In verse 4 it says this. And declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. By the resurrection of the dead. Now this is an introduction to Paul's letter to the Romans. All the way down to verse 7. In some ways a very typical introduction. But in other ways the contents of that introduction are incredible. Are absolutely incredible. Extraordinary content. What he's dedicated to. But also that same power. Which declares that Jesus Christ is the Christ. The Christ. The anointed one. The Messiah. Sometimes you can just think of. That that is his surname. No he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the one prophesied. That that title the Christ carries weight. He is the one. He was the one spoken about. And the anointed one in Psalm 2. When it speaks of that. That same power that declares Jesus. And raises him from the grave. Is the same power which saves sinners. From their sin. It's the same power that rescued you from your sin. It's the same power that can rescue your neighbors from their sin. It's the same power that can bring all people in this area to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that restrains the Lord by saving by few or by many. There's nothing. Do you believe that? 
See, it's very easy for us to limit the power of the gospel. When we share the gospel sometimes, we're almost like negatively thinking, mm, he's going to throw it in the bin if we give him a tract. Or, no, dear friends, there's nothing that restrains God in this message. This may well happen. But know that it is in God's hands, the results. It says in Psalm 40, verse 2, He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. This same power raised Christ from the dead. This same power will raise all our bodies. One day we will, our bodies will go into the ground. But one day, these bodies will be resurrected. Wonderfully resurrected. And God both raised up the Lord and will raise us up by His power. 1 Corinthians 6.14 How will He raise us up? By His power. The Son of God has been God from all eternity. The eternally begotten of the Father. But declared by His resurrection... That all that was said of this man was true. You see, it says declared to be the son, declared to be, verse 4, the son of God with power. From all eternity, he's the son of God. In his divine nature, the son of God. No change at all takes place in his divine nature from the past to the future in no way, shape, or form. But as a man, in this office, as prophet, priest, and king, he's declared to be, he's declared to be the Son of God. By his resurrection, that all that was said of him from eternity past, taking upon flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is all true of him. It says in Acts chapter 13 verses 32 and 33, and we declare to you glad tidings, the promise which we which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son today. I have begotten you. Remember the context of this. Has fulfilled this for their children. In that he has raised up Jesus. Now he's been begotten from all eternity. But in time declared what was true. From all eternity. Now if he is the one who represents us. By faith. We've been brought into union with Christ. He represents us with the Father, before the Father. If that is the power that represents us in this spiritual battle, how can we be defeated? We can't be. We sung earlier, He is for us. He is for us. He's a place of refuge, a place of safety, a place of strength. And this should give us freedom, confidence, joy. Do we trust Him? And it's easy sometimes just to say, just trust God. We all have doubts. We all have times of struggle. We all have times when we struggle to fall asleep at night. We're worrying about things going through our minds. 
But we ought to remind ourselves in the midst of this of the power of the gospel. And it's not just, yeah, we got saved and now we can park the gospel and never think about the promises of the gospel ever again. No, no. When you lay down your head on the pillow, it may be the last time you do so. But if you're in Jesus Christ, death will not be victorious over you. You will, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The power of the gospel and your body will be resurrected one day. That is the power of this gospel message. And the more confidence we have in this gospel message, won't we share it more? The more confidence we think of this message and and the power that is contained in this message that Paul was so dedicated towards, would it not make us share it more? See, sometimes we can kind of go, okay, I'm going I'm to evangelize more, and you can really try. It comes from a confidence, an inner joy, and an inner peace. It just naturally flows out of you. We need to spend more time with the Lord to discover the power and the wonder of this message. And finally, number five, the privilege of the gospel. In verses five to seven, it says this, Through him we have received grace and apostleship, For obedience to the faith among all the nations, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul says to those in Rome. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, if you have been changed, you have a heart of flesh, no longer a heart of stone, you are the most privileged people. We are all the most privileged people upon the face of this earth. Do we think of ourselves as that? We have been given the greatest gift, the greatest privilege. Now, in verse 5, it talks about here, through him, this is Jesus Christ, we have received grace and apostleship. Now, Paul has received this great blessing, this great grace. Not just him, but all the apostles. And we've all then, in verses 6, in verse 6, it says this, among whom you also are called, The called of Jesus Christ. And what are we called to be? Called to be saints, it says in verse 7. Called to be saints. Called by the king himself. To be, literally, holy ones. Holy ones. Now just to picture this for a second. It's probably going to be in a few months time or next year. When King Charles will be coronated. Imagine if you were invited to that celebration. You're like, you probably be telling everybody. Guess what? I've been invited to go to the the coronation. That's amazing, isn't it? And what if it goes a little bit further than that? He invites you to come and he wants to make you part of his family. You get to get all the royal privileges. You're going to be, okay. What would the news say of such thing? It'd probably be all on the front news. This complete nobody me or you, whoever else, has been made part of the royal family. Who is this person? How do they have such privileges? Why are they allowed to? You can just imagine it now, can't you? This would be incredible. But just say you said, I have no interest in going. I couldn't be bothered. Um, I'm washing my hair that day. 
I have something better to do. Oh, you don't think much of that, do you? That wonderful invitation. What do we think of this great invitation from the Lord? The kingdom we've been made part of and adopted into is far greater than the royal family in Westminster. Far greater. Far, far greater. By becoming part of this family, you are, it describes here, along with the Romans that are being addressed here by Paul, beloved of God. You were loved by God through Jesus Christ. Adopted into his family because of Jesus Christ. Now if we think nothing of this dear friends. It's extremely concerning isn't it? If we just say well I, I, yeah that's not too interesting. Are we not in danger of becoming like Esau. Who despised his birthright. It's a dangerous place to be. The privileges we have as believers in Jesus Christ, as part of God's people, are incredible. And we need to tell the next generation of how wonderful they are. Because if we don't believe them in our hearts, what are we going to be saying to the next generation? The knowledge of such things should make us more grateful and joyful. And fill our hearts with worship. This is exciting news, isn't it? It's not exciting news because of the person delivering it. It's exciting news because of the source of this message. Essentially, this is coming from God. This is coming from God. What do you think of the riches of Christ? The riches of his kingdom. They're offered to all who will come. Fleeing from the darkness... And embracing the light. Freedom from sin. And freedom to follow the truth, the way, and the life. The Lord Jesus Christ. This is not good news. It is good news. It is something that should make us a joyful people. Yes, we won't be joyful all the time. I'm not saying we will be. We will go through trials and tribulations and and challenges and things that will make us cry out to the Lord and bring us to the very depths of our being, of course. But at the same time, a joy should characterize our lives. Because we have every reason to be joyful in God. So with all that, let us rejoice in what we have as believers in Jesus Christ.